Jan Reith. And I'm Kyle Thompson. And I'm Ezri E. And you're listening to General Insight Unit. And this time we are talking about Joseph Weizenbaum. We are beginning a series on Weizenbaum. Um, we're going to be talking principally about his book from 1976 called Computer Power and Human Reason from Judgment to Calculation. Um, but I think in this episode, we're going to give a bit of a setup um, and talk through an article by Ben Tarnoff titled Weizenbaum's Nightmares, How the Inventor of the First Chatbot Turned Against AI. Um, this article was published in July of this year in The Guardian. Um, Weizenbaum has pe- has shown up on this show before um, as the author of the Eliza chatbot. That was the inspiration for the video game of the same name. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Um, the video, like the the chatbot in Eliza, is very closely modeled on the real thing, um, and the whole game is sort of riffing on Weizenbaum's own speculations about the chatbot. Right, so. We really are sort of like returning to the source material here. <laughs> oh, very much so. Um, Especially like, and it's 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 interesting because since we recorded those episodes, like you know, uh, the whole chatbot thing has blown up to a massive degree, uh, and and so you know that game was prophetic in a way that I don't think even the creators would have quite anticipated yeah or wanted it to be like uh, one of the <laughs> oh, things oh, that definitely. Really sticks, me in, sticks with me in this article is that uh apparently one of these ai therapists was you know did what happens when any intelligence is exposed to twitter or the internet is that got very comfortable with telling someone to kill themselves and so this ai therapist was apparently telling a depressed person to kill themselves and they did and what was this chatbot's name not smarter child but eliza right um so pretty much exactly you know this that's you know if we're gonna be ultra platonist and treat everything like logic that's a reductio ad absurdum for a very very bad start (laughs) something went wrong there something went wrong to get to that point um yeah, I mean, I think it's even worse than Weizenbaum, like, conceived of in Oh, it's so book. much worse. Like, because his beef with the idea that you could create a machine psychotherapist is that, is the idea that, like, psychotherapy is purely reducible to procedures in the way that Eliza was designed, like the original, uh, the original chatbot, um, and just you know these psychotherapists being like, well, clearly this is the first step to automating the whole procedure because like their concept of psychotherapy as practitioners was so mechanized and devoid of any notion of like empathy or interiority that they thought that you could just create like a playbook of responses and that would be sufficiently therapeutic but the chat gpt therapist like this this new eliza 
was like not even operating on that basis. It was just sort of like, you know, given a general problem domain and then scooped up like the dreck of the internet and turned it into just a, a murder bot. Um, like it's it's not even like mechanized in the way that Weizenbaum was afraid of. It's something even more fucked up. <laughs> That's like it's such an important thing, right? That like um, Weizenbaum was kind of one of the originators of AI, really. And the the, the first generation or the first wave of AI was based on kind of like like rationalization and like like computerization of reason and like procedure and algorithm and it was it was supposed to be like oh we're going to we're going to like computerize this huge ontology and this like you know and then the computer is going to sort through these categories and it's going to do these very mechanistic kind of things and that shit crashed and burned big time and then there was the ai winter yeah they wanted to they wanted to build like a mechacont uh-huh. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, <laughs> like they were, they were like, we will formalize all of these different faculties, and then we will make the perfect intellect. Uh, and it didn't work worth a damn uh, because, like, you know, there are things that are basic. Like as Weizenbaum points out, there are things that are basically impossible to like definitively articulate in a formal language in such a way that they can actually be operationalized. Yeah. Um, whereas so all that shit crashes and burns and then there's the AI winter for a good, good decade, a couple of decades where nobody invests in this kind of shit. And then quietly in the background, these like neural network techniques and like machine learning techniques start to gain traction. And it turns out that like stuff that you could never formalize, that you can never get a computer to do by formalizing what it should do, you can kind of get it to do by just throwing shitloads of data and compute into a big black box and having it churn around for a while. And it comes out with not anything that's like, you know, it, it just doesn't bear a resemblance to what came before, but it's like this like statistical probability model of what words are probably going to come next. And it's so it's like deeply unreasonable and deeply irrational at some basic level, but it works in a way that the kind of formalized reason-based ones never did. Um, and so there's there's a sort of inherent madness to these things, right? That like, it, then, then you compound that with this problem, the ELISA effect that um, Weizenbaum identified, that like people seem to be very easily bamboozled by these fucking things. Like, and people who should know better, like the psychotherapists in that example, people who should fucking know better have extreme confidence in these things that are basically stochastic parrots. Um, and that's what worried Weizenbaum very deeply, even back then with the like emaciated version of AI that he was working with. <laughs> it was worrying enough back then. It's extremely fucking worrying today. Yeah, and I, I really, I really like the the whole you know crux of the book, the whole biscuit. Like, I, 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 Kyle, I don't know if you just saw me saying something like this in another server because right after I said it, you were like, do you, do you want to read Weizenbaum with us? Because, it, you know, I was kind of making a little jab at Platonists earlier, but like when I read Plato and I understood like Socrates' idea of cognition, I immediately had a nerd computer science reaction. Like, oh, this is what computers can't do that I can do. That were like, right. You know, okay. Like, yes. Potentially, maybe yes, a yes. fucking dog can do it or a dolphin, but I don't know. But I know a computer can't do that shit because otherwise, what's a captcha? A captcha is like, man, I, I can't tell if this is a bicycle or an intersection. Like, 
and and I never will because I fundamentally lack the cognitive machinery for it. Um, and you know, when I was when I, when I th- went through school the first time, there was all this like cognitive science stuff that was still kind of hoping and praying that computers could do cognition. And, and I was sitting there in a philosophy class being like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's partially an issue that like the account of cognition we can arrive at through introspection, articulation, logic, etc. Uh, is it, it, it's a way to describe cognition but it isn't necessarily how cognition happens on a biological level. So, so we, you know, it's like in formalizing the thing that we are talking about, we create all of these complications that mean that it's not really something that you could operate in real time, right? It's it's something that's valuable for reflection, for, uh, you know, study, uh, judgment, all these kinds of things, right? But it isn't like you you can do this kind of like Aufbau sort of procedure to build a cognition from scratch according to formalized rules that can actually do anything in real time because it, it, it's 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 like everything we everything we came up with was like retrospective in order to sort of like build something that you could study in a very different time frame than what real time cognition looks like. Yeah, and the insight from the neural network people and from the machine learning people was to start with the nuts and bolts of a crude imitation of how brain-like things work and how they learn, um, and just work for work forward from there, and something you know remarkable shit emerges. Whereas working backwards was never really anything that could work. I was shocked to learn that that people actually call those things neurons. Those like, um, and and I talked to I talked to real like neurologists and that were also literate programmers or I guess numerate or whatever programmers. And, um, they, they seem to have like no problem with this. And I was like, but, but, but it's, it's not a neuron. Like it's, and they're like, well, you know, neurons can fire and not fire. I'm like, you're telling me neurons are binary. You know what I mean? Like they just fire. They don't fire. There's no in between state. And they're like, well, yeah, I'm like, Hmm, okay, but even if you accept this, like, these things don't operate the same way, do they? And they're like, well, and I'm like, you can't, no, you can't believe this. <laughs> like, so well-educated people, like, you know, and, and okay, I'm not, I'm not saying I actually have the, the mechanism spelled out, but I had such a strong philosophical intuition that there's no, that, that these two, that this computer, like, at the end of this uh, Guardian article about Weizenbaum, and I really love his openness here, is that a computer is just an alien. It's a fundamentally different type of being. You have to respect that it just has a completely different type of being. It's not going to be able to do this thing like that you think it wants to do. And that makes perfect sense to me that the people paving the roads to our, our present and future nightmares uh, that did actually succeed with AI, uh, more or less were just like, 
Yeah, this is, um, you know, we're, we're not actually going to try to do cognition. We're going to try to remodel it on some completely other way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that one reason why you see that slippage is like, for example, have you seen the YouTube series um, uh, where they are growing a brain in a vat of neurons to play Doom? <laughs> okay, and and this is a, a a programming brain in a programming vat, or is this like deep cover? This is a this is China? a real ass real ass biological brain. Yeah, that 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 is going to, that they are trying to grow to play Doom. Uh, it's 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 literally like the brain in a jar scenario of like the the entire reality of this brain is just the virtual world it can interact with. Um. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so when you have these kinds of like uh, meat machine interfaces uh, that are literally using neurons, um, it's it's easy to sort of like confuse the two more because. Well, they can provide, like, they can do the same things, not necessarily all the same things, but, like, if you push it hard enough, like, yeah, you could, could you could convince one to do the other, uh, and, 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 and that sort of, like, formal bridge that exists is something that is, like, convincing in a way that, that, that Weizenbaum kind of describes, right? Like, where... Like the more you sort of like use these machines and they take on kind of like prosthetic roles in your life, the more you can conceive of yourself in terms of the machines and the machines in terms of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the slippage is kind of quite understandable because it's the result of a bunch of dominoes falling, right? Like, people started out claiming flat-out machines could never learn, and then you just demonstrate machine learning. Like, there's there's this kind of, like, domino-falling effect where we, especially through, like, cybernetics and, like, systems theory and stuff, we kind of discovered that a bunch of, th- of traits that we had thought of as being exclusively human are actually just features of reality. They're features of matter. Like, matter can learn in general, and human, human learning and human brains and stuff are a, a special kind of that thing. But... You know, even in the books we just read, like fungi learn and they cognize in weird ways that are alien to us, which is, again, the point that comes up later. But the dominoes do fall, right? Like, and you you just can't ignore the evidence that, like, yeah, this shit does, in fact, actually happen and does work. You, you can train a bag of cells to play Doom. It's not a special feature of, like, souls or something, you know? And so what Weizenbaum is kind of doing in his book is kind of saying, well, even if those dominoes do fall, even if hum- even if computers are capable of doing such and such things, there are certain things they should never be permitted to do because of the distinction between judgment and calculation, right? And so he... he- he, he doesn't deny that the dominoes do in fact fall, you know, because I think at this point it's just like the, the, the game is given up. It's like, yeah, this lear- learning and, you know, I, I guess intelligence is a feature of reality in general. And you, you just can't really deny that at this point. But then, you know, Weizenbaum's argument is more in a kind of register of like, well, you know, we as human beings have values and we make judgments. We don't just calculate. And it is possible for other entities to 
process information in hyper-complex ways the same way we do. But it's, if they do that, they are in a crucially different category because, like, I mean, I th one of the examples that I think is used in the article, I don't know if Weizenbaum really uses this example, but like dolphins, right? They're intelligent beings, but they just, we don't, we don't give a shit what they think because fuck them, you know what I mean? Like, they're not us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the thing is like, I, I think that like, I don't know, there's, there are some things about Weizenbaum's like anthropocentrism that like, make me quite uncomfortable uh it, i mean he, he clearly hasn't seen star trek 4 obviously not y yes and, <laughs> and like it's like i think that you know given the time that he was writing i don't think any of this stuff is like objectionable or especially uh surprising but like i just think we've we've learned so much more about animal cognition since the time that he was writing that like we like in order to be sort of like scientifically faithful, we do have to sort of acknowledge the validity of animal cog cognition, even though, you know, we can recognize it's alien. It's not the same as us. But then the other thing is like, as somebody like, as somebody who is autistic, this sort of, like, idea that alien intelligence is invalid is kind of scary to me because my intelligence is alien compared to neurotypical people, and my judgments are affected by that. So does that mean my judgments are invalid as well because they're alien? Yeah, there's a kind of, um, there's like an assumption here of like, um, at, at least, at least it appears this way. We'll, we'll get into the book as we continue to actually read this, but it, it does seem that there's a sort of simplicity to the argument that like, oh, there is, there is a like single human system of judgment and of, of shared values, which is, which is really not the case. But I think he, I don't think he's exactly wrong in his claims though, about why it is that AI systems shouldn't be permitted to do certain kinds of work. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the thing is that, like, um, uh, one issue is that that AI can't even really provide an account of its own values. Um, so it's not even, like, sub subject to discussion, right? Um, and it, it, it's too, like... I guess the thing that I find or I think about in this is that sort of like if AI met the criteria of judgment that Weizenbaum is kind of presenting in a sort of like near enough match scenario, right? Like, you know, considering like an autistic person versus a non-autistic person, right? It's like, well, it's close enough, right? Um, it probably wouldn't be very powerful at doing much else, you know? Like, I, I feel like there is a trade-off that must exist between having that level of, like, cognitive versatility and nuance versus being able to do one thing really well or being able to be set in a direction and just work frantically at it 
like uh, like an AI typically is. And it's like if you have the one, you don't get the other. And if, if you have that that power that AI like AI processes currently have to do one thing that you set them at, it kind of means like you can't trust their judgment because they don't have enough nuance to be like a like to be able to be held to account through any kind of dialogue as opposed to just like setting up the parameters of the design and policing the output you know um that, that that's kind of how i think about it yeah yeah that kind of makes sense but but um i i guess i i, I wanted to double back to the idea of cognition because I think on some level, well, first of all, the Guardian article made him seem a lot more like a, you know, a much more open to the possibility of alien intelligence and the validity of alien intelligence. And I actually, I didn't get that from reading the book yet. Uh, I didn't get to the book where he's, part of the book where he's like, fuck the whales. Um, but <laughs> I don't remember reading that, but you know, I, I guess I read it quickly. I could have skipped over it. Um, but I think at some level, like, yeah, and I, I can't help but think of this in a, a sort of a anti-Platonist reading of Plato, right? Um, is that on on some level that our ability to have a cognitive grasp of stuff, you know, however you account for the mechanism, does involve some kind of ethical stuff, things we believe values, um, and you kind of you, you you know for lack of better words you grok it or you don't you you might have a different set of values because things click differently for you, um, and and there's something about that where, okay you know not just you know neurotypical adults or like autistic adults or you know the child you know smart children or empathetic children or or whatever like but I think listen I think my dog I think my dog loves me I think my dog doesn't want to hurt me. In a way, in a fundamental way that I don't think AI is capable of, right? Like they have this something clicks, and they have this like uh, sensitive understanding that uh, an AI can't have. So I think I think there is something to that notion of cognition. To if we're gonna try to make this, you know, not like a fuck the whales argument, and I think I think all the raw material is here for that. Like and or you know perhaps worse, you know, fuck the Aspies. They're just calculating machines. They're basically, uh, you know, a, a 19th century socialist car cartoon anti-Semitic <laughs> Like, um... So to be clear, the fuck the whales bit was a joke, but I think it's, oh, it's, is that it's right? partially. I, I think it's 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 like it's it's a it's a caricature of everything. What, what maybe what part of what wise mom is getting to is that like you could have you, you can definitely have other intelligences, but like it, what what he's really getting at is the relevance of any cognitive process to like human social processes, and the the examples he uses are things like you know courts and judges. Um, psychotherapists, anything like that, that re require, they require human values and they require human judgment within a human social context. And the thing is, if the dolphins came up onto land and sa said, you should keep all your women in cages and treat them as broodmares like we do, we would tell them, go fuck yourselves. We don't care what you have to say about this. Because... Mm -hmm. 
for the it's most part, yeah. Incompatible. It's an incompatible set of values, and it's just like you are also an intelligent being, and I can respect that. But also, you're you're trying to insert some judgment from an alien world into this world, and again, it does kind of presume a singular world of human judgment or whatever. It has that kind of problem to it, maybe. But at a certain level, it's just like okay, I respect the fact that com- computation and like information processing and cognition are going on over there. But I don't care because this matter is one that requires the like close knitness of a human community and having lived a human life, like to 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 pass judgment. Um, that's what I was getting at with the, the like the fuck the dolphins bit. It's like, yeah, we, on some level, it's just like we, we don't we don't. On some level, we just don't give a shit what they have to say. I'll be very curious what they have to say, but I'm not going to let them tell me how to raise my kids or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, on the other hand, I do think it's our place to translate the scum manifesto into dolphin and get that shit. Let's fix that shit. Fu- Let's so Captain Kirk that shit. We can intervene in that direction, but if they try to intervene with us... Yeah, we're not happy. Oh, look, like ten percent of the internet would be like pro dolphin. All of a sudden, they'd they'd stop eating dolphin. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, they'd, they'd exactly. like boycott people hunting dolphin. Like you know, shit would get weird. You know. Um. Um. Anyway. So, um, should we maybe go back to like uh, maybe the sort of start of the article and kind of talk about this Eliza thing and what the problem was with it that uh, that <laughs> Weizenbaum spotted? Because it's it's a hell of a vexing problem, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, Essentially, the chatbot, as I said before, it, it's designed to operate according to procedures, right? So it analyzes the text that comes in and sort of sorts it into buckets of like, you know, use response A, use response B, use response C, and so on. And the way it's designed is to you to answer every statement with a question. Uh, or a vague comment that has no particular uh, commitment to it, right? So yeah, it's just like, oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, it, 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 or restate what the restate what the input was, right? That's the other one. Uh, so so yeah, it's like you know, let's get, pa- let's get a job. Let's pass a job interview. I don't know. I need to learn from this. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, like you know. Speaking of autistic life, um, uh, yeah, we we do this all the time because we don't have intuitions about these things. Anyway, um, uh, so it'll be like men men are all alike is the what the user says. The chatbot says in what way, and then. They're always bugging us about something or other. Can you think of a specific example? <laughs> well, my boyfriend made me come here. Your boyfriend made you come here. He says I'm depressed much of the time. I am sorry to hear you are depressed. <laughs> so it's like, it's very... So it's a bag of regexes. It's just like... <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. That is exact. That is exactly what it is, is... Just basically regular expressions applied to input text. Uh, right. And and Weizenbaum is fucking stunned that, like, people interact with this thing and they get really fucking into it. And they're like... He explains, like, oh, this thing's just a really simple set of rules. It's not, it's not an intelligence of any kind. It's just regurgitating your own words back at you according to some, like, text pattern matching. But people are like, no, 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 no. It, it's, it's a person. It's like, no, but, but it fucking isn't. You know, it's like... But, like... He finds that people are very fucking easily bamboozled by this thing. And it's, it seems to be related to like the, um, in psychotherapy. I mean, it's, it's not an accident that like 
you know, Eliza is framed as a, like, virtual psychotherapist as a kind of joke, because, like, Weizenbaum was influenced by psychotherapy quite a bit. But, like, it's this trans transference thing. People can't help but project feelings and emotions onto these things that, like, come from their own pasts, like, come from, from their own lives. And so, for some reason, it's very easy to get led astray by these extremely simple programs. And, like, Eliza is as basic as it can get, as it can get right? Like, it is... It doesn't in any way qualify as an artificial intelligence, and yet it's a very easy sell that Weizenbaum wasn't trying to make. Like he he wasn't trying to convince people that this was a, was an intelligence, but like people were very easily self -con like convincing themselves of this. But I all right, can we can we just chew on that this whole thing for a second? Because I I am not a person with like uh, you know an excessive amount of guile when it comes to those that want to manipulate me. Like, I've been manipulated by, by humans quite a bit in my life. And, um, and, you know, like, the notion that someone, and especially somebody that is a better programmer than I am, you know what I mean? Like, a, like someone who's put their whole life into it could take this seriously is, I, well, like, that, that doesn't happen to me. Like, I don't have that feeling of transference. And I, I may have it with people. You know, or with humans or with fucking dogs like my you know my mom's dog looks like the dog I had growing up like okay but like I don't have it with 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 um AI bots and I like I've liked AI bots growing up you know I was a lonely kid too but I but I met a programmer last year who said that they fell in love with an AI bot and I was like you're a professional programmer though right like and I just sort of listen and I'm like okay I, I had to step back with myself and say well this person must be, you know, pathologically lonely. Like, there has to be something very wrong for this to happen. And I'm not saying that, you know, makes it, n that makes it the, so that it doesn't count. But, um, you know, most people that know me on the internet will have, you know, virtually the same thing to say is that there's something wrong with this person. Um, so, so I, I too am, you know, maybe not exactly neurotypical, but I don't have this problem. I don't, I, I, I don't do this with chatbots, and I, I find it very, I, I accept this because I have to, because I see exactly what he's talking about, and I, I don't understand this, and I imagine that he never, he clearly never imagined that this would happen. Yeah, so he's in the same bucket as you and I, right, and, and, and Kyle here, of just, like, being, like, incredulous as to, like, what the, what the fuck is going on here, but it is a very real observed phenomenon, right? Um, I, I think the thing is, I think the thing that is maybe uh, uh, maybe missing from like Weizenbaum's account that is derived from psychoanalysis is that like when you engage with conversational patterns, it you start to build up sort of like a theory of mind of 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 your interlocutor, right? In order to engage with the conversational content. And it, it, it's like a, it's sort of like a, almost like a decoy that triggers that part of your brain, right? Like in the, in the sense that like, because you are going through the act of conversation, you start to engage all of the different aspects of your conversational mind. Um, and that is something that is like sort of inherently emotional. Um, 
and and it's like you can have a you can have a kind of like you can have a kind of double think about these things to be in the to be in the conversation and be emotionally activated at the same time that you intellectually understand that this is completely superficial and there's nothing behind it. Um, and and it, it's like, I guess at some level, you kind of need to like prioritize one or the other. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. And that like, um, I, th I think there's, there, there's that that's going on. I also think that like, uh, I don't know if it's like an evolutionary thing or if it's just like a, a thing that we're strongly selecting for, but like, I think kind of before chatbots, like some conversational partner having a command of language was a pretty decent indicator that they were minimally quite smart and like, like knew, knew their subject matter or like were competent in the world, you know? So if you talk to somebody who was a bricklayer and they could go on and on about laying bricks and building bridges and shit like that, you, you got the sense that they were actually competent at doing those things because they could speak about it, you know? That gets turned on its head with chatbots because it's like there's nothing there. It's, it is kind of like, but as you say, because you're engaging in conversation, specifically these generative AIs, like that's the new thing that's changed this year, right? We've, we've had machine learning that can do pattern detection and recognition, like, you know, recognizing that there is a cat in the picture. That's one thing. But the new thing on the block is that it can generate pictures of cats. And that's, you know, we've, we've had machine learning that could recognize patterns in text, but the new thing is that it can generate text in a very convincing way. And that is, the dangerous thing where it's, and like the thing you just described, where it's like a spider trying to convince you that it's a leaf, right? Like you, your, your kind of neural apparatus just looks at it and goes, that's a leaf, right? Like you just can't help but engage in that level. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there's, yeah, okay. I, I guess these two things give me different feelings. Because on the one hand, there's a deception, right? There's, there's a mistake, right? There's a category error of some kind. Um, in the, in the second, which I, I'm fine with. This is like epistemological. Oh, I thought it was a person, but I look behind the thing and it was just a, a, I am a robot and okay, I can just turn this all off. No, what really bothers me is people that have a more intimate understanding of what's going on, or even the way that, um, Weizenbaum talked about his secretary who saw him working on this all the time and kind of knew yeah, that yeah, it was yeah, this yeah. thing that, that her, her boss whipped up, like, um, that there is a terrifying solipsism that this implies about modern human relationships, that as long as your brain centers are getting tickled, you, you don't actually need an empathic connection. That is quite scary, isn't it? And I think it's, I, I've been kind of trying to think about this for a while now of like, especially now since ChatGPT came on the scene, it's been, there's been a lot of talk about how it's going to revolutionize like the search interfaces and stuff like that. But, like Google's in huge trouble because search is going to like web search is going to disappear. Ask Jeeves is coming back, baby. We got to ask Jeeves. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. Except Jeeves is a brain in a jar that's been bred to find me like cookie recipes without milk in it. And I've been trying to, I've been trying to kind of think about this and like, why is it that, uh, you know, I, I see this happening all the time. Like, I'm in a, I'm in a bunch of like, um, discords for like trans people and stuff. And a lot of it's about like helping people with transition and HRT and stuff like that. And a lot of the information that we end up regurgitating is the kind of stuff that could be in a wiki. But the thing is, I think people don't want to read wikis. They want to talk. 
And so that's why we get the same thing happening every fucking day. Every day I log in and it's basically the same set of questions. Yeah, it's eternal recurrence, the, the trans discord, yeah. Like you can only be in it for like the first three years and then you got to punch out because otherwise... Because and it's, it's, the same, it's the same pattern. It's the same kind of thing of like somebody shows up and asks a question along the lines of something about the medical aspects of transition and somebody else answers with basically the same information from yesterday, right? And this happens day after day after day. And you would think that sticking this in a wiki and asking the noob to go and read the wiki would be a better way of doing things. But conspicuously, that doesn't happen. The conversational aspect of this seems to be very important. People prefer to talk rather than read, right? Now, if you took the fleet of the small fleet of experts that we have in that, that Discord and, you know, just like... I don't know, like replace them with a chatbot or something. You, you can you can see where this goes, right? That like people want it's on some level. A lot of people seem to want to talk instead of reading. Like instead of opening a browser page and reading the damn thing, they want to talk to it and get the answers that way. And that's partially why I think this chat GPT chatbot stuff tickles the neurons in that very particular way of just like it's conversation. It's wonderful, right? Oh, I don't know. There's something very spooky there. Yeah, one. One one thing I've come across is um, there's been a lot of uh, I saw a video about how there's been a lot of like controversy in like the fan fiction community like around AO3 about um, machine generated text and ch- chatbots because on the one hand these corpuses that the chatbots are working off of have scraped all of the AO3 content in order to, you know, because they just scraped everything, right? Um, and why, so when you engage in the domain of fan fiction, that's what they pull from is because that's what they scraped, right? So there's the whole thing about, you know, theft and intellectual property and so on. Yeah. And then there's another thing, which is people who are authors feeling very put out or who are community members feeling very put out because people will just like create a chatbot of the characters they are a fan of and have conversations with them for like hours and hours on end and so they won't engage in role play with other players or they won't read people's written fan fiction because because you can just instantly engage in dialogue with the chatbot with no need for scheduling or no need to worry about uh, uh, upsetting other people. Um, and, and you don't have to sit there for hours like an idiot reading a fucking page. You can just you can just do it directly, right? You just skip to it. Skip to the part that you're most interested in. Yeah, 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 exactly. So so these this has been like quite a shocking turn of events for like those communities because it kind of gets at the root of what makes them exist and function. Um, It kind of just like discourages people from like really joining and participating because like they could just talk to a chatbot instead. Um... And, uh, yeah, so, like, and, and, you know, to get to what you were saying, Ezra, about falling in love with your, with your, your chatbot, I mean, like, that's, like, people already were falling in love with fictional characters in fan fiction, right? 
but then you make that into a chatbot that you can talk to, and there's like an even higher level of emotional commitment that can happen. And it, it lowers the barrier, right? So that's the thing, is that like, um, people, people... Yeah, the barrier's way lower, yeah. Yeah, but like, people people reading Harry Potter fanfic on AO3 were a special group of fucking weirdos who got a lot out of that. But if you can just talk to Harry Potter via fucking ChatGPT, that brings the bar way fucking down, because now you don't even have to really be literate enough to read for a couple of hours at a time. Yeah, so uh, it's it's like, yeah, I think all the things we've been, talk- we've been talking about there, it's like there is definitely a human ability for fantasy that gets activate- activated by certain forms of dialogue um, that in some ways allows us or even can compel us to suspend our disbelief, right? Um, Even if we know that it's like, because I mean, everybody who's using a chatbot, like especially the ones who are like, you know, I designed this chatbot, (laughs) like, or I trained this chatbot or whatever, like they understand it's a machine, but, but they still engage in a suspension of disbelief. And even if they, on some level, see that it's, like, not really a valuable use of their time or that they're losing human relationships or whatever, um, it's engaging enough to still engage with, even if there isn't that sort of ultimate, ultimate satisfaction there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a hyper-stimulus. It's like, I mean, for the listeners, it's like... An example is like out in the Australian outback or whatever, there's um, a kind of beetle that are like green and kind of shiny or whatever. And because people are constantly drinking in Australia, they dump their beer bottles on the side of the road. And the the male beetles just crawl up on top of these fucking beer bottles and just hump them until they until the males die, basically, because they resemble gargantuan females. Right? <laughs> it's a stimulus. They're, they're programmed on a neural level to respond to. But it's so much fucking bigger than anything they've ever seen. It blows their fucking minds, you know? <laughs> and so they're, they, they're just hard. They just, like, no. go straight in on it and can't be convinced to do anything else. The biggest mommy yeah. has been discovered. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, so, so this, this essentially has the effect of taking all the stuff that was antisocial until, like, the internet connected a lot of people or fan communities appreciated the internet. The internet kind of made this big and then kind of made it like ace and asocial, I mean, and then kind of made it sort of asocial again because of properly anti. And in my view, because in part driven by actual antisocial behavior on the internet, that that you you know you start connecting about people. Man, I really wow, I like you know Chakotay from Star Trek Voyager, and then you join a Star Trek Voyager shipping Discord, and you know find out the big Chakotay queen is like a, a sociopath, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so now you can just talk to Chakotay bot and you know have your like steamy relationship with him, and and no, and no one has to know about it, and no, no one can drag you on the internet for for whatever. Like, yeah, totally. It's it, it's hard to miss the impression that this is um, our, like, as human beings, our kind of neural apparatus has been fucking hijacked by something that is precision tuned to completely fuck us over in this, like, hyperstimulus sense. Like, it is a fucking missile, like, with pin precision. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Can the chatbot that's playing you get to level two? Yeah, and I, and I, I think that, that, like, a lot of... Like a lot of the sort of like earliest 
D&D clones like roguelikes and stuff that you saw in computers were trying to respond to the same kinds of issues like oh like scheduling a game of D&D is a bother or there's toxic people in my group I wish I could have this experience but without those people and for the longest time definitely did not exist um still doesn't really exist but like the impulse has been there for a long time right um and we're starting to see technologies that yeah that 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 kind of are kind of like scratching that itch in a way that nothing else has before yeah should we talk a little bit about um weissenbaum's um like personal history there's kind of quite a long section here on him growing up yeah 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 um so i grew up in berlin i believe is uh his history right um yeah uh in uh so uh he was born in berlin in 23 um his father uh was from galicia which is like southeastern poland into western ukraine you know one of these sort of like pre-world war ii uh, eastern european like territories that no longer really exist right like that's sort of like where my the the or not uh my my um the the german side of my family is from like you know the part of prussia that is now poland so it's like, yeah, like they used to be German, but there's no Germany there anymore. <laughs> kind of like uh, like Kant, right? He was from that part of Germany, too. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, he, they were from, a, from from the east, you know, came from a really poor background. His father did. Um, and uh, uh, married a Viennese uh, woman, younger Viennese woman after becoming uh, like financially successful and essentially you know his son being kind of more sensitive less practical etc etc like he was extremely contemptuous of his son um hated his son he said uh a wise mom said my father was absolutely convinced that i was a worthless moron a complete fool that i would never become anything so he's kind of like nietzsche's dad or something you know, just a really, really awful uh, father figure. Yeah, I'm going to say quality of German parenting. Not impressing me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and of course, the other thing I should mention is that they were assimilated Jews, uh, you know, in Berlin, uh, which is very important because, yeah, uh, his uh, father did not come from an assimilated middle class Jewish family. He uh, he was like first generation assimilated into that German Jewish milieu that existed before it was destroyed by the Nazis, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the importance here, like, I mean, um, Weizenbaum will end up in the book claiming that, like, you know, the, the human experience of having lived a life and having picked up values is a crucial difference between humans and machines. Um, yeah, I mean, you can kind of see, you can see where you can see where Weizenbaum comes from in this little story. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, for this generation of intellectuals, communists, uh, Jews, uh, there's all these formative experiences that they always talk about from their youth, right? Um, you know, seeing seeing the, uh, the 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 Nazis and the communists uh, like lining up and shooting at each other in the streets, 
you know, seeing uh, uh, Jews dragged into an SA bar and, and beat up, uh, you know, um, uh, being forced to go to a Jewish school instead of a public school because of Hitler's laws, um, and then uh, falling in love with uh, yeah, with a Jewish boy who was like, from the shtetl, a Yiddish-speaking Jewish boy, not a prop, not a you know Dreyfus-like assimilated one. Exactly, like he was, he was from the the Jewish community that that uh, Weizenbaum's father had rejected, right? Um, so he got a whole exposure to that side of Jewish life, and you know tried to bring this boy home to meet the family and his. His father was just absolutely furious because he, he, you know, he had gone through that major assimilation brain and, uh, and, 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 you know, he, he had that kind of attitude of like, I got out, fuck everybody else behind me, you know, um, that you can totally have when you come from a really rough background. Yeah. Weizenbaum kind of tells you he's gay or at least bi in a way that only a programmer would. If fate had been different, yes, then I would have developed a homosexual love for this boy. <laughs> right? <Like. laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, essentially, this these experiences are things that like gave Weizenbaum copy brain, right? Like because he saw oppression, he saw solidarity, he saw uh, communal divides. He had a father figure who rejected him and he rebelled against, um, you know, all of these things. Eddie, Eddie lived. Who saw the same things and had different values. Like they saw the same things descriptively. You know, you could give an algorithmic description, but they felt different. They felt very different. Yeah. And, and, and another thing is that Weizenbaum saw Jewish or German scientists sort of evade responsibility during the rise of Hitler. And this was important to him later in his life when he was an established scientist in the U.S., right? Yeah. So in in 36, the family leaves Germany and ends up in Detroit. And kind of like the, the, the next couple of years, he's like in parallel getting into mathematics and kind of picking up left-wing um, political uh, sympathies. Um, uh they they crucially left Germany because his dad was banging the girlfriend of an SA member, uh, which good stuff is a choice. Uh, I mean, as far as like fortuitous uh, events, you know, leaving uh, Germany at that time was a good idea, but it's certainly a way to go. Um, yeah, holy shit. He's trying to shtup his way out of the, you know, the, the fate of the Jews there. Like, yeah, but uh, he got himself in too much trouble and he, they had to bounce. So, so uh, Weissenbaum gets into mathematics and then eventually computing. And like a lot of his kind of story here is like this tension between his love of mathematics and computing and his like political uh, attachments and his kind of like um, uncomfortable, like his discomfort with the ways that mathematics and computing were being used. Yeah, it, like uh, once again, he ends up at sort of a like a working class school. Um, is very isolated because he doesn't speak English at first. Um, is probably just a huge nerd as well. Um, 
And, uh, you know, obviously the sort of inclusivity at that time in schools was uh, maybe not what it is now, even if schools are a nightmare still. Um, and uh, so he was very, uh, he had a great aptitude for mathematics because it was like the language that he could just pick up instantly in terms of what he could do. But he also viewed it, as, he also viewed it as an abstract game, right? So there was a little bit of a contempt for him there. But on the other hand, because he went to this working class school, he also got to do like metal shop and like he enjoyed doing manual labor. And he sort of came to these like Heideggerian understandings about uh, uh, like two handedness, uh, about about the 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 practical manual embodied dimension of experience and thought that uh I don't know if he, like, I think he didn't, I don't think he got those from, like, Marcuse or from Heidegger, but, like, or from Dreyfus, right, who was, who was, who was also influenced by that line of thinking. I think he just kind of came to them himself in the sense that, like, oh, yeah, like, I don't just have to be, like, a nerd who's totally in my head. There's this other side of life that exists, too, and I can appreciate practicality, and, of course, like, in commie brain mode, like, I can... It's important to change the world, not just to contemplate it. Yeah, he approaches this in the least Nazi way possible, which is more than you can say for most Heideggerians. In that, um, yeah, in that, you know, he he loved he, I, when he when he says that something's a game. I actually think that he might have a you know a, a neuroatypical like love for something because it's kind of play like actually I, I didn't read it with the same kind of contempt I thought that it was easy and fun for him which I you know I kind of admire actually like wow this, this is the easiest thing for you like for me you know math is a grind but I see something in it that I, I like a lot and yeah that, it, I mean, it has a puzzle like quality that I that I I feel like I'm appreciating with him, but it's so easy for this guy. And it's, ah, oh, it's just a game, you know, no big deal. No bigs, like, this is fun. Um, but there's this, um, this uh, tradition in mathematics where you're just kind of too busy ascending the forums to give a shit about the concentration camps outside. And that's not what he wanted. So the thing that really teaches him the, you know, Heideggerian, you know, knowledge of the hands or whatever is going to war and fighting the Nazis. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, so that's like, he called the military a salvation. Like, he, he first went to a working class university, right? And he sort of came in contact with the workers' movement, with uh, black people in Detroit who had, you know, moved up from the South. Yeah, which he compared to... He compared that to uh, the oppression of Jews in Germany. Yeah, yeah. The UAW was was kicking off, um, I guess, as they are now. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hell respect. yeah. Thank God. You podcast for long enough and the workers' movement comes back. I love it. That's right. I know, <laughs> right? Oh, my God. We've been waiting. I feel, like, I feel like we have to do an episode of just like, hey, the workers' movement exists again, huh? Um, oh, man. It's good. It's good stuff. But yeah, the, 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 the thing that made him happy was he went to the Air Corps, he became a meteorologist. He was like, hell yeah, I could use math to kill Nazis, <laughs> you know, to fight Hitler, like to do something practical in the world. This is awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like his, uh, 
his kind of relationship that stuff does like sour over time, right? It's like he sees the computer being used for like, especially by the time you get to the Vietnam War, right? He's seeing um, computers and mathematics being used to do fucking horrific things, and it's like he's he's getting much more. He's he's he has this like creeping sense of dread about all this stuff that like goes it goes over his entire life. Yeah. Which makes sense. His his mistake is is pursuing something remotely useful. You got to go for the most useless shit imaginable, and maybe they'll weaponize it in a hundred years, or you know, in five years on some cryptography algorithm. But like, at least you know, you get to have your puzzles and games and fun stuff without, you know, without being remotely employable. But we wouldn't be talking about him if uh, if he did that, right? Like, it, that's the thing, right? Is he's one of those intellectuals in this period of time who like go from the like socialist to pentagon pipeline and then become become critical right uh, so s- similar to like marcuse uh you know similar to like oppenheimer um uh it's 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 there there are a number of these intellectuals at this point in time who are like they have second thoughts especially when the vietnam war rolls around yeah, so like one of the big pivot points here is that um, 63, with this huge grant from the Pentagon for MIT's Project MAC, um, meaning Machine Aided Cognition. And this was like part of this like transition from um, essentially a transition from these huge hulking monoliths that you would have to program punch cards and then submit a batch of them and come back tomorrow to get an answer, uh, moving much more towards things that we would recognize as computers that had more interactive interfaces. Um, that and the idea was that you'd be able to converse with it. Now, in in practice, we got the Bash shell. You know, we, we got we got the Unix shell, which is not very conversational. But the idea was there, and that's kind of uh, on. That's the basis on which that you know Weizenbaum gets the idea. It's like, oh well, if this is supposed to be conversational, I should make this Eliza program, right? That's par- it's kind of part of this whole project. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's like these are like the first like literal like quote unquote terminals, yeah. right? Like when you open a terminal on a computer, it's an emulator of this thing that Weizenbaum was working on, which is something that remotely connects into the mainframe and allows you to have multiple people from multiple terminals working in one machine. Um, instead of having it like interaction with the computer being serial, like one person goes in, inputs the program, next person comes in, inputs the program, um, you can timeshare. And I mean, there's a certain degree to like, as soon as you have the terminal, you kind of have like the beginnings of like Emacs brain that can start to form, right? Like where it's like, what if this was just everything? Right. Like I could make this do anything. Um, And that's basically where Eliza comes from. Right. Is that because you have this like this completely changed the style and experience of programming because you could send things into the interpreter and get responses back and sort of iterate and do trial and error instead of sort of a priori thinking out the program, putting it in, seeing the result, and then going back and doing another one. There's there's a much more conversational uh, procedure happening here. And he says, well, 
if this can do formal language interactions, can it do natural language interactions? And that's where Eliza came from. Totally right. Um, this this deep interactivity is 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 the really important change here. Because um, like you could you could never interact with Eliza by submitting a bunch of fucking punch cards and coming back tomorrow to get the response. That, that would never work. <laughs> <laughs> Men are such pigs. <laughs> One day later, I see that you believe that men are pigs. Get back on a postcard. Um, yeah. You do chess by mail, like you know that kind of thing. It feels like it feels like it could have worked in another reality. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, and 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 also this is this is uh, crucially the the innovation that allows for the beginnings of video games. Oh yeah, one hundred percent right. This, right. this move towards mainframes and terminals—that's the beginning of video games. There. Yeah. Can you imagine playing Doom on a postcard? <laughs> I, I can barely imagine doing Civilization by email. Like that shit is—I don't even know why they bother to put it in. Like nostalgia, like. Um. So this project brings um, Weizenbaum into the orbit of the kind of emerging field of AI, right? Um, the MIT's Artificial Intelligence Project, um, which had been set up by John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky. And these these people will end up being his kind of sworn enemies at a certain point, um, because he t- like Weizenbaum takes the opposite kind of stance to, to these folks, right? Um, there's actually a funny story. Like, uh, it's noted here that McCarthy had coined the phrase artificial intelligence um, for an academic workshop earlier. Um, what's really funny is I, I read this in an article somewhere pretty recently, but um, the reason McCarthy chose the term artificial intelligence is because, like, at the time... It was basically cybernetics, right, that they were working on. But he didn't want to invite Norbert Wiener because Norbert Wiener was a huge nerd that nobody liked. And so they chose a different <laughs> name for the fucking conference so they wouldn't have oh. to invite him. And I, 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 I oh have a God. feeling that, like, cyberneticians would have a lot of qualms about McCarthy and Minsky's uh, uh, approach. Uh, they would be like, this seems very questionable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the, 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 at one point, the, the fields were basically a circle in the Venn diagram, but like, you know, because 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 Wiener was an unlikable dork that, that they didn't want to invite to a conference, they invented this new term, and then the divergence kind of starts, but you can always see the, the, the commonalities there. Um, yeah, the, the, the no Wieners allowed club. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I'll see if I can dig that up as a reference for the show notes. If I can, if I can find it's it's in my bookmark somewhere. It's basically, um, basically an exercise in social exclusion invents the term AI. Like, so it's like nerds excluding other nerds. Like, creates AI. This is what intellectual history is actually like. Uh, it's just it's just the it's just the version you don't get in the textbook. You know. Right, right. Um, this is just a torrent of, like, a, the dialectic of asocial and antisocial going back and forth. Like, okay. <laughs> that, that generates AI. Can we get into a little bit of the kind of opposite polar, the polar opposite positions that Minsky and Weizenbaum end up taking up on this question of artificial intelligence? Oh, my God. Well, okay. Minsky is one of these, like, uh, he reminds me of, like, uh, Peter Molyneux. Um like the game developer who is notorious for like uh, overselling game pitches and then massively under delivering, but being being such a good bullshit artist that like he could 
he could repeatedly dupe people into backing him. <laughs> yeah, that's Minsky. Uh, yeah, so uh, Minsky was bullish and provocative. One of his favorite gambits was to declare the human brain nothing but a meat machine whose functions could be reproduced or even surpassed by human-made machines. Weizenbaum disliked him from the start. It wasn't his faith in the capabilities of technology that bothered Weizenbaum. He himself had seen computers progress immensely by the mid-1960s. Rather, Weizenbaum trouble with Minsky and with the AI community as a whole came down to a fundamental disagreement about the nature of the human condition. Um, and so uh, Weizenbaum argues that uh, no computer could ever fully understand a human being and no human being could ever fully understand another human being. Like this is the classic like neon Genesis Evangelion uh, psychoanalysis <laughs> shit, right? Like, you know, the only yeah. way we can get past this is human instrumentality. Otherwise, we are just, like, bound to eternal solitude and, like, you know, uh, 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 being unable to, to, to really, truly be together as people. Um, so everyone is formed by a unique collection of life experiences that we carry around with us, he argued. And this inheritance places limits on our ability to comprehend one another. We can use language to communicate, but the same words conjure different associations for different people, and some things can't be communicated at all. There's an ultimate privacy about each of us that absolutely precludes full communication of any of our ideas to the universe outside ourselves. Um, so, you know, this is something that like, a you know, an introvert would say. Right. Uh, but also also there is truth to it. Right. Well, if it, if it wasn't true, then then like and you could have a perfect kind of copy of, of someone else's understanding. What would be painful about death? You know what I mean? Like what you, you everything that is important would live on. Like what the thing that makes death so painful is you can't, you can't access that stuff and you, you can't go visit, see that person and see them having that experience or talk to them about it. Like that's gone. Like, and so I, this strikes me as true because of that experience. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So like, it, it's like, um, it, it, it's like Weizenbaum doesn't seem to like disagree that a brain or a, a, a sort of mind system is an information system and is materially instantiated, right? That it is, it is in some very literal sense a meat machine. But the difference is that like the hyper complexity and like containedness of the information creates a weird interior that is not really representable in like an algorithmic sense. It's like a, there's, there's so much that's contained there. You can, you can't just like, um, represented in the way that Minsky wants to. My impression from reading the first chapter of the book is that Weizenbaum is kind of agnostic about whether the brain is a machine or not, right? He, he, he says, like, you know, sort of that for... He goes on this very sort of Heideggerian argument, right? Um, you know, may, maybe it's a Marcusean by way, like, you know, Heidegger by way of Marcuse argument. But anyway, it, he goes on this argument that essentially, like, for the longest time, the machines we had were material, practical prostheses, and we didn't conceive of the mind as a machine. But once we had the clock, we started to do that. And he never says that that was correct. He just said that it was a leap of thinking that we could make once we had the clock, right? And and, and so I I think he's just kind of agnostic about it. Well, there there is a point... Uh, during his discussion of the Turing machine that he says, well, the brain is a Turing machine, but it's not just that. So I, I, I think mine, 
I, I think I cleave closer to Jin's reading in that. Like, I think he does accept that, among other things, it's a machine. And the thing that he would disagree with Minsky about is that it's not. You know, Minsky thinks it's nothing but a meat machine. It's just it's just a big meat puppet instead of something some, like a, a a a big feely thing that has a machine in it. There, there is a, there is a, there is a, uh, a line from McCarthy here. Uh, Every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can, in principle, be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. Uh, which is, the, you know, that is the thing that Weizenbaum disagrees with because it's like. Um, he doesn't believe that those ca- those capacities exist in language, right? They 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 don't exist. Yeah, that's a super important thing here. That like, um, I think the the sort of the Minsky's and the McCarthy's and such are very, they're kind of stuck in just like language as everything. And you know, Weizenbaum points out that like there there's there's pre linguistic experience and like kind of pre pre linguistic kind of processes that happen in the brain that are not just text you know what i mean like um and that's that's kind of like the chat gpt stuff here like that like um you could take uh, you could take a textual description of weizenbaum's life up to the point where he was 30 years old and feed it into chat gpt and it might be able to spit out convincing textual continuations of prompts but it's not going to have that experience embedded in itself in, in anywhere near the same way that a human brain picks up the experience and encodes it at a, at a level way below that of conscious, like, linguistic thought. That's a really cursed idea to make a Weizenbot, June. Like, yeah. Totally. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> please don't. Don't anyone do that. Ugh. Listeners, please don't. No. Uh, well, okay, anyway, I was just gonna say that, um, that the position that Weizenbaum is advocating here at this point in time is really quite an unorthodox one, right? Because this is the height of linguistic brain, right, in, in in the Western Academy, like from now until like the end of the 90s, right? So like late 60s or um, uh, 60s to, to 90s, everything is language, 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 everything is language, anything that isn't like if you if you ever talk about anything that isn't language, it's like heretical, right? Um, uh, and and uh, so, th- like, uh, I think that evidenced by their massive Pentagon funding, Minsky and McCarthy's position was much closer to sort of like the orthodoxy of the time in terms of how we conceived of minds and people and the world. Um, and Weizenbaum was was much more of a of a heterodox thinker at that time. Well, that, that must be the case. But I'm sorry. I I feel like that must be the case because uh, Minsky and McCarthy are making these like sweeping statements that they can't prove, and all Weizenbaum is doing is saying not all of it, which is so reasonable. And the fact that he's read as a heretic is so strange. And yeah. Th- there was a cult Even going today, on here. Yeah, 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 exactly. Even today, I can't believe the number of people that take... And, you know, I'm I'm for disagreement and pluralism, but there are some things that I find absurd, like patently absurd on their face, that I'm sure maybe they're informed by my education, but, like, I, I feel like you could not be educated and see this as well. 
that like <laughs> or you could be too educated maybe you in the need the educated <laughs> right 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 and that's that's the thing about cults that's the thing about like cults that you it's not something that would just occur to you you have to be indoctrinated yeah like they put a lot of work into that shit you know what i mean um but like as of the mid 60s this is where weizenbaum is right like he's he's making this pretty straightforward point that like there's a big difference between computer programs and human psyches and yet he has this evidence in front of him that eliza you know a lot of folks are really fucking willing to just ignore that point and just be like no there's no difference between these things at all and he's just baffled by this shit um i also feel like minsky and mccarthy's argument like is basically invalidated by incompleteness like I, I think you would you would have to be sort of like mathematically illiterate to make this argument and believe it. Well, they were highly motivated in their reasoning, you know. At this point in time, this has got to be like big on Pentagon grift, right? Like, how much of those suits know what girdle is? Oh yeah, no. This is this is this is the pure this is the purest MIT grift times. You just you know like the tradition. It, it was alive and well at this point in time. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's only something that you can sell if you don't understand some of the most basic stuff in the introduction of this like subject. Like uh, you, you skip the last class in you know this subject and you don't know this. But if you know, if you just know like the very basics of the, like, it's not like Girdle was was like you know some unimportant guy who you know. No, he no he 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 broke a generation of weird nerd hearts. Like, because they were forced by their own methodology to come to a conclusion they didn't want to come to. I've always found that's, that's, that's like, still kind of... It, it, it's still true today that, like, people selectively just don't want to believe that stuff. And it's, like, I, I think there really are just, like, a couple of different types of minds. Like, there's, there's folks that just really want the clockwork universe to be true. And they want the full representational capacity of computation to be true or whatever. And when you present them with the evidence that it just fucking isn't, I guess there's just like folks that like take the evidence and go, yeah, sure, cool. That that totally makes sense. And then there's the ones who, <laughs> notwithstanding. <laughs> and there's the ones who swim really fucking hard upstream against it, like in the in the Minsky and McCarthy sort of sense. And it's like I, I, I see that happening still today, all the time. I don't know, it's it's a fucking weird one. Yeah, it is a spiritual disposition. It's a disposition, you know? Yeah. For listening to General Intellect Unit. While you wait for the next episode, you can find us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. You can find us on Facebook and all the podcast apps. So like, rate, subscribe, and share with your friends if you can. If you'd like to support the show, help keep the lights on, and get access to our community Discord, you can go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and give us a couple of bucks a month. Every contribution is greatly appreciated. This show is part of the Emancipation Network a Marxist podcast network and research collective. Go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows such as Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Mortal Science, and Jumpsuit Utopia. They're all excellent shows and excellent folks. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode, and we hope you'll join us again next time. 